Hello, I'm Mike Browning. Welcome to Let God Speak. God never intended that any human being should die. Sin and rebellion is responsible for that. Jesus, however, was born for the express purpose of dying. Not for himself, though, but for all of us. Today, we'll focus on Christ's death and how central that is to human existence. Folks, on our panel today, we have Stephen Groom and we have Gail Fong. Thank you for coming and sharing with us today. We really appreciate that. And we'd like to invite everybody to share with us as we take some time to pray before we open the scripture. Father in heaven, we pray today as we come that you'll accept, first of all, our thanks for life and all the blessings of it and for a knowledge of you. And we pray that you'll guide us through your spirit today in our discussion, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, folks, whether we've been a high profile person or just a humble gardener like myself um, or something similar, um, we all end up in the same place and that's the grave. And so the question is, what happens next? So, Stephen, what does happen next? Well, nothing at first. Um, We wait in the grave. We sleep in the grave until the resurrection. And if we go to five, uh, John chapter 5, verses 29, it says that um, there's two resurrections, a resurrection from, for those who have done good and another resurrection for those who have done evil. So all will be brought back to life out of the grave. And first, now, for us who are waiting, the dead seems to be some time, you know, mm-hmm. but... 1 Corinthians 15.52 says that for those who have died, it's the twinkling of an eye. So just so time for those who have died will not be accounted for. Like the deeper sleep. Like a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, thank you for that, Stephen. That makes it clear. Um, despite that, there are plenty of believers in Christ who expect to go straight to heaven um, be, when they die. So how does that work? <laughs> well... It doesn't really work at all because the Bible says, if we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses um, 16 and 17, just reading there, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So these verses tell us very clearly that um, the resurrection of God's people happens at Jesus' return, at Jesus Christ's return. And actually that's the main reason why he's coming back is because he longs to bring his children home to heaven. He must be very, uh, very keen to come back and gather his children together. Thank you for that, Gary. And we must remember that Thessalonians was written for people who didn't know. They thought there was no hope for people who went to the grave. That's right. So Paul is consoling them that the Lord will come and take them out of the grave. Okay, so that's our hope. The resurrection is our hope. That's the point we've made so far, and it's a good one. Um, I'd like us to just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we could, please. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to to, um, look there at verse 17 
and verse 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and 18. And this is what it says. In Christ, sorry, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Now this is raising another thought. Then also those who have fallen asleep, that is those who have died in Christ, have perished. Now this is really interesting. Um, so what's that saying to us, Steve? Oh, basically the conditional element there, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. He says your faith is not worth anything, but fortunately Christ was raised. So therefore our salvation, so, sorry, Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. Okay. Paul's point here is that um, Jesus' resurrection is evidence that now that he has the keys to the grave uh, for those who believe in him as a personal saviour. So um, he has victory over the death and okay. so can we if we connect ourselves with him. Okay, so that's fan it's a fantastic thing. So his, his, is the, his, is, his resurrection is the focus for us to have. Yes. Not only his death, but his resurrection as well. Thank you so much for that. Um, look, I want to go back in time just a little because we're talking about the whole plan of salvation here to save the human race. Um, Gail, when did God actually formulate this plan to save humanity through sending his son. Mm. Well, just reading in the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, uh, the Bible says, that, um, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Mm. So the scriptures is telling us very clearly that this was not a plan that was put in place at creation, but before the world was created, mm. way back in the eons of time, okay. that this was put in place. God had this rescue plan if needed. Mm. And um, that, that the son made this commitment that he would be the one to be the rescuer. He would be the one to redeem and of course, the as, fallen. As God knows the future, he knew that there was going to be such a need and yes. it was always there. So when there was, uh, as soon as sin appeared, there was a saviour. Thank you, Gail, that's lovely. Um, there's an interesting statement, similar kind of statement to that in Titus chapter one and verse two. Um, and I'll just read it through. It talks about us having the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Stephen, what do you make of that? Well, it, it's similar to the previous text. I mean, so before the world began, God made once again provision for the fall of man. Not that he ordained it, mm. but he made provision in case man fell. We know um, that man did fall and God's plan was that we should live forever. Well, obviously, because of the fall, we were meant to die. But God still has that plan that will be worked out. Man will still receive eternal life to those who follow God's plan out of this uh, ter terrible calamity. Yeah, no, that's true. Thank you for that. So what we've been saying is the moment that sin entered human experience or human existence, then God's provision of a saviour was put into place right there at that beginning. Um, so how did God, and here's an interesting thing, we need to discuss this, Gail. How did God keep the knowledge of this plan that he had to save humanity before the whole human race? How did he do that through history? It's amazing that God, he instituted animal sacrifice right from the beginning when sin began. Mm -hmm. And so throughout the Old Testament, we find that um, they did 
animal sacrifice and this was to uh, rem for them to remember looking forward to the innocent um, blood that would be shed for their yeah. sins yeah. and John expresses himself so well in the, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 29, under inspiration as he sees Jesus coming toward him. He says in chapter 1, verse 21, 29, I'm sorry, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm, oh, thank you. It's an interesting thing, you know, the, an animal sacrifice. I remember as a small boy being a town kid growing up in Launceston in Tasmania and I went and stayed with some friends and they slaughtered a sheep while I was there. Mm. And I watched it happen, you know, and the blood gush out. I think, you know, I was quite shocked and horrified as a little kid when I saw it because um, it's a grisly, even, and it was a shocking experience for me and I've never forgotten it, as you can tell. Um, why did God use such a, a gruesome illustration as an animal sacrifice? Yes. to illustrate Jesus' death. Yeah, well, because the, the coming death of Jesus was gruesome, as, as accounted for in uh, the end of Isaiah 52 and all through Isaiah 53, it was a violent, bloody death mm -hmm. uh, done for humanity for us. Uh, it was an act of love so misunderstood by most, yet gratefully embraced by others. I just want to specify, too, that the sacrifice on the burnt altar in Hebrew is called the Holocaust. And if you think of the Holocaust in our history, it was about terrible tragedy of loss of life mm. through um, that sort of death. Oh, yes. Thank mm. you. That's true. That's true. You know, it's interesting when Jesus tried to help the disciples understand that he was going to die. Um, they couldn't understand it when he tried to share it with them, which is rather interesting. And Peter even tried to dissuade Jesus from it. I'm going to go back to that, actually, in Matthew 16, folks, Matthew 16. And verse 21, and it says this, verse 21 and 22, Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem. By the way, um, it was when they accepted that he was the Christ or the Messiah, he then unfolded to them his major mission um, mm. as the Messiah, that he must go to Jerusalem, verse 21, and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Um, this was this, um, this shocked the disciples, as you can appreciate. Um, and um, Peter spoke up on behalf of the others in verse 22. It, re it records that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, he thought he was trying to defend him. But what did Jesus feel about that, you know? Well, in verse 23, he says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Mm -hmm. So here, Jesus could not allow anything to turn him aside from his mission. Yeah. And he knew that the devil was using his disciple to discourage him at this it. point. Mm. And so, um, yes, he he spoke up very strongly. Yes, he, and he had to. And of course, the devil was trying to. That was because devil knew uh, that that was going to be the crucial event in basically wresting the, the, the world out of his control back into God's control. So thank you for that. That's so important that we get that. Um, 
Jesus brought his coming death up again. That wasn't the only time he tried to get his disciples to see what was going to happen. The next chapter, 17 of Matthew and verse 22 and 23, Jesus um, talks about it again there. Says in verse 22, now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day he'll be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And they just didn't get the importance of it. It just made them so sad. And you can appreciate that. So why, Stephen? Why were they so sad? The the Jews, as well as the disciples, had a misunderstanding of the prophecies. Isaiah 53 didn't fit into their their picture. They took all the prophecies that spoke of Jesus' exaltation at his second coming as his first coming. So they they were looking to um, exalt him. but Jesus needed support for the ordeal that was, mm. that was coming. And secondly, Jesus wanted to protect them from the bitter disappointment, which they did happen yeah. in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all fled him because they didn't understand this. And no, nobody understood it. Mm. If we also go to Matthew 21 and we have the triumphal entry and everybody cheered Jesus as he was on the donkey going into Jerusalem. Right. Do you know why? And that's uh, given in all of the four Gospels. The reason why they cheered him, because they expected him to take the throne of David yes. in, in Jerusalem, but he didn't. Free them from the Romans. That exactly. Was the idea. Yeah. So that just gets to the question I wanted to put to you, Gail, and, and that is, why was it so difficult for the disciples to get that he had to die as part of his mission? Yeah. Well, just as Stephen has um, shared, no, that's quite all right. That's excellent. Um, The disciples, yes, they were filled with a a false belief, false understanding Mm. of the Messiah and his role and um, uh, the role that he would fulfill on earth. And so they were certainly set up for a great disappointment um, because it did not include his death. And uh, thus, this exposed them greatly to the great sorrow that they experienced when Jesus did die on the cross and as he allowed himself to be um, taken and and, uh, taken to trial and go through the whole process of the awful crucifixion. So error always matters. And here um, it's never harmless. And it for what could God was trying to soften it for them that they would understand his mission mm-hmm. but it just went over their heads and mm-hmm. an example of this is on the road to Emmaus right. when after the resurrection of Christ he joined these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and in uh, Luke 24 and verse 21 they said but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel so uh, this they were expecting okay, to have a deliverer from the Romans. Mm, they yes. did. That's what they had in mind. It was a worldly kingdom and Jesus had a spiritual kingdom first. Yes. The other yes. one. Okay, look, moving on to that climactic event that's recorded in John chapter 19 of the cross. Um, Jesus makes some interesting statements. We need to just have a quick look at that, could we? John chapter 19, and I'm going to read verse 29 here. And it says this, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled a sponge with it, put it on his up, put it to his mouth. So Jesus is getting towards the end now on the cross. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now I can't say it the way he said it, but it would have been a powerful statement. Mm. 
And bowing his head, he says he gave up his spirit. He died right then and there. And um, Stephen, we need to explore that. What, what was finished? What did he mean by it is finished? Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, yeah, telestai, it's um, a perfect passive. So everything has been completed or accomplished for the salvation of mankind. He has fulfilled his role as the, the lamb in the outer courtyard of the sanctuary, which was the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. So every, every provision now has been made for our salvation, where if we accept the Lamb of God, Jesus, as our Saviour, then we can be saved now. Okay, Our that's plan beautiful. of salvation has been set in order for us. So he had. Com- this was his announcement. He had completed the task. Everything on his side has been done. It's mm. now up to mankind to decide whether they accept that or not. To respond. Yeah, thanks mm. for that. That's beautiful, isn't it? Um, when Jesus made that cry, do you suppose this was a great victory for God himself? Oh, absolutely. It was an immense victory mm. uh, for God because Jesus had now won, has now won this great controversy. Yeah. Satan is now defeated and, um, and the forces of evil. And the kingdom of evil was lost and the universe was set free. So, yes, this was a massive victory, but not mm. only for this earth, but for the whole universe. The whole universe was now secure. Fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and Paul said this world is a stage and at the cross, Satan's mal- malignity or hatred against God was clearly revealed. So he lost all the, how would you call, um, all the affections of the heavenly universe because they saw his, his evil in its full display against the uh, spotless Lamb of God. Yes, thank you for that. Now, look, here's a thought uh, moving on here. Um, are there are a lot of people who don't believe in Christ Right, unbelievers, for whatever reason, who think that by living a good life, they kind of cover themselves. If it just so happens at the end of life, there is a kind of a, a judgment, right? Yes. And uh, there are people who, who make that sort of statement. And uh, we chatted earlier about this, and you've had people say that to you, Stephen. Yes, I, I get to work with the public uh, a fair bit as a Bible worker. And this is a very common, I would say, deception amongst the community. Is, is that I'm a good person, um, I don't need Christ. And that's a t- terrible tragedy. If you were to become so good and, and sinless, you would still need uh, a saviour for the, your past debts because right. all have sinned and come fa- fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need a saviour okay. to be justified and to be made right with God. Yeah, thank you. I mean, mm. being a good person is a good thing. No one would doubt that. Yes, but it, but in terms of a provision for a, a judgment, um, it's got it's no not value. acceptable. Got no. no value at all. Okay, thanks for that, um, um, Gail. Can we ever sin so badly that there's no hope of being forgiven? What do you think of that? Well, if we think of it this way, um, can we ever be a greater sinner than Jesus is a saviour? Mm, and that's true. in First John two two, it, John writes. Uh, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Wow. So yeah. the Bible is very clear there that if we are truly sorry and ask for forgiveness, we will be forgiven. Mm. But then on the other hand, if we never ask for forgiveness, we're never sorry, well, then our sin remains. Okay, thank you. And that's a serious matter, isn't it? However, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God, can't we? It is is possible. that possible? 
Yeah, it is possible. And yeah. I think that's what you just described, how people are holding out and not... Yes. And not uh, so, so after a long period of holding out mm. from God, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and lose the possibility of salvation. We can indeed. I'm glad God is as patient that he is, but yes, that certainly is a possibility. See, we're making a point here that Jesus dying for the world's sins was one thing. Us accepting it on a personal level is another. Yes. And that's a step, and we've made that clear, that's a step that and, must be and taken. And Satan is in the world deceiving people at all times that's correct, to make yes. them think that they don't need the Saviour and all yes. need the Saviour to receive eternal life. We do, yes. and that's true. Thank you for that. Thank Look, God I, for um, His grace. What is, yes. What is Jesus saying for us in John chapter 3? And there's a, This is a, a very interesting chapter and a very important things Jesus said here. In John chapter 3, folks, and looking at verse 14 and 15 and then 18, on, in verse 14, Jesus said, and it's recorded here, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes. Now this is talking about being lifted up on the cross, of course. And then in verse 18, it says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, so this is serious stuff, mm. he who does not believe is condemned already. So we stand without a saviour in a sense until we accept him because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So what's Jesus really trying to say to us here? Uh, much like we've been, the vein of thought we've been talking about, um, salvation is not automatically applied to every human being on earth. Mm. So we, the choice is ours. Salvation has been... Uh, given through Christ, but it's up to every individual to decide whether they want eternal life or not. If they decide to have eternal life, they must accept Jesus as the, the spotless Lamb of God yes. uh, who died for us as their personal Saviour. Yes. This must be the first step in their own okay. personal It's really salvation. got to become a personal experience, hasn't it? There's no doubt about that. Look, I want to go back in, uh, still a bit further in chapter 3 of John here. And in John chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, um, Jesus makes this rather startling statement, actually. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, whom he was talking to, said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, interesting question. But I'm not sure whether Nicodemus was stalling here, acting dumb, whether he really didn't get it that Jesus was talking in the spiritual sense. Anyhow, verse 5. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying to us here? He's saying the Holy Spirit has the power to transform our lives. Yeah. And salvation, it's not just something that is a book entry that you can just write your name there, yeah. but it's life changing. And it's something you experience because it brings so much joy to your heart because right. there is power that God is offered to you in the name of Jesus through the working so of the good. Holy How Spirit. How important is that? Oh, it's very important. When we offer the gospel to people, we don't want to offer a powerless gospel. Mm. The drug addict and the alcoholic, they don't want just forgiveness of sins. They want to be cleansed from the problem that they have. Yeah. They want to stop drinking alcohol that uh, brings them to the gutter. They want to be lifted up. And this is what the gospel offers them okay. through the Holy Spirit. Okay. So let's ask this question. Will the benefits of Christ's salvation ever run out? 
Now, I must point out that we're talking about prior to the time when there is a close of probationary opportunity. We know that just before Jesus' second coming. But we're talking about right through until that point, Gail. Um, will the, will, will um, the benefits of Christ's salvation for us run out? Well, his sacrifice is sufficient uh, for all sins, for all times. Okay. So no, it will never run out. Okay, that's so important to get that, isn't it? Because we're apt to think, oh boy, I've blown it this time, you know. Um, but as you point out, the blood was shed for our sin. And so I'm glad that's so clear on that. Look, here's a quick thought. Um, considering it's how difficult it is for some people to accept what Jesus has done for them, um, this must have been a risk for God. I mean, what if only a few or even only one person, say, accepted what Jesus did for them and was saved? It's a big risk for, you know, big risk sending his son to this earth just yep. for that. It was a terrible risk to, to, to think that God, whom we cannot understand in his majesty, would become a human being in its fallen, in its fallen state. But that's what Jesus did. Um, it was a risk, but God considered a, it the risk. But... God so loved the world that he took that risk and he gave his son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Yeah, that's wonderful. Look, thank you for that. We're certainly dealing with a fantastic topic here today. Amen. Aren't we? We really are. We're running towards the end of our time. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Gail, there's a question here I'd just like to put to you very quickly. Uh, I'm going to read it and then if you can just comment on it. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to we who are saved or being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. By faith, we must reach out and experience the power of the presence and love of God as yeah. expressed at the cross. Yeah. And its power may be experienced. And of course, that's brought out in later verses in, in of chapter 1, uh, verse 23 and 24. I'll just... Uh, share that. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For those who believe you understand how wonderful and powerful it is. Look, we've got a minute left and I want to just say this, um, folks, Gail and, um, Gail and Stephen, can you share very quickly with us what the cross means to you personally. Perhaps, um, Stephen, if you start Yes. Uh, first of all, it reveals God's justice against sin. He has to deal with sin, and we see this in a loving way. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's the greatest revelation of God's love for sinners. Mm -hmm. Though it's against sin, it's for sinners. And three, the cross is the source of power given to mankind when they accept Jesus to break sin's power in their life. I'll be glad about that. Yeah. 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 And Gail? And adding on there, the cross is the only hope um, of eternal life. It gives us hope. And the cross is the only safeguard against a future rebellion in the entire universe. That's right. And we mentioned earlier about how this, when Jesus died, he not only died to save humanity, but the whole universe was made secure by his amazing gift and his mm -hmm. victory over, over the evil one. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. It is true, the whole universe is interested in the salvation of humanity. The wonder is that so many humans are indifferent towards it. Mm. And the miracle is those many who have accepted Jesus' salvation. And I would like to encourage our listeners to accept Jesus and his salvation without delay right now, folks. 
Well, we're glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. You can watch this and all our past programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Teachers notes for Bible teachers there and you can email us if you prefer. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.